have you ever been told something and you just believed it? You just kind of went along with it? Um, you ever been to church camp before? It's a really fun but really weird place. It's really strange. It's, uh, I, what I mean is like, there's, there's not really many other places where middle school boys and middle school girls get together and that right there is weird. <laughs> if you don't have any middle schoolers, and you have little ones, just wait. I don't, but I was a middle school boy and sometimes still act like one. Um, but I remember being in middle school, and it was the height of the boy band. If you fell on the Backstreet Boys side of the NSYNC Backstreet Boys thing, can I get a hand here? You guys are the worst. You are. What's wrong? NSYNC? Yeah, those are my people. All right, so anyway, it was the height of the boy band, right? And at church camp, uh, you know, you go to classes, you, you study the Bible, you have a lot of fun, play a lot of games, but then there are times where you get together and you sing. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, when no one's around and the music is louder than I am, I sing louder. And occasionally, I'll surprise myself with this, like, just spectacular note. And I'm like, oh, dude, okay, that was pretty good. Now, middle school boy, uh, go back a couple years, not a lot of years, but just a couple years, and it's middle school, Roger, and you got all these hotties around, because that's what middle school boys and middle school girls, you know, that's what it's all about. Middle school girls are a lot more mature. They go because they want to pursue Jesus. And the middle school boys want to go to pursue the girls that are pursuing Jesus. That's, that's basically what that's all about. And um, so that's where I found myself, pursuing the girls who are pursuing Jesus. And so we're singing this song. I don't remember what it was, but it's probably like, Ways of mercy, ways of grace. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Now, boy band Roger is just letting it go. And after our first morning chapel, one of the girls comes up and she said, Roger, I just want to tell you, that was really good. Oh, the whole rest of the week, y'all, I was like, waves of mercy, waves of grace. Now here's where it's bad, is that it's, it's contagious. And so all the other middle school boys think that they can sing also. We created a middle school church camp Bible week boy band. And so we get with the worship leader because I'm an extrovert and I just need all the attention. We get with the guy who's leading worship and we're like, we want to lead a song. And you could just see it on his face. He's like, oh no, how do I tell these kids they can't sing? And he's like, some of y'all parents, they just didn't. I'll have the conversation with your teenagers if you need me to. I, I'll be the one that they hate forever, but they'll love me in the end. Um, so, I don't know why I said that. Don't hate me if your kid is kind of borderline. All right, they can work at it. I'm just too far gone, so I'm a little bit bitter that I can't sing. So, he puts out some music, and the words, and we're flipping through which song we're going to do. Y'all, this is when I knew I couldn't sing. He flips to, I don't know what song it was, but he flips this song, and it just happened to be one that I knew, and so I just belted it. There was no music. There was no one around. It's just me and my boy bands. My boy band dudes were wearing, like, bandanas probably and real, and Jinko jeans and, uh, you know, No Fear t-shirts or whatever. Anyway, and, and so I just start belting it. Oh, ooh, ooh, ooh. 
See what I'm saying? See how good that was? Y'all, when I was done, I looked at everyone, and their face was like, You've, you've been told things in your life, and you just jumped in to believe it. Middle school singing was one of them for me. Um, is the resurrection of Jesus just one of those things that you've been told is true, and so you just jumped in, and you're like, man, I believe it. I believe it because it feels good. I believe it because it's a story that I need in my life. I believe it because, well, the preacher said it can fix all of the things in my, prob- in, in my life. For those of you who have been Christians forever, why do you believe in the resurrection? Is it just because your grandmother taught you that in Sunday school? And that's a good thing, but honestly, it's not enough. Why do you believe in the resurrection? Now, for those of you that are here that are kind of critical of the Christian story, this is a perfect Sunday for you to be here. For those of you who have been Christ followers for a really long time, you might need to be a little bit more critical of the Christ story and be able to answer the question with complete certainty why you believe the resurrection to be true. Now think about this. 2,000 years ago, we weren't around, but we believe that a man was beaten, he was punched, he was spit on, he was Uh, we'll we'll read the scriptures in a minute, he was uh, whipped, and then he was hung on a cross to die, and then we believe that they took him down, put him in a tomb, rolled a stone that they had to use like levers and systems to put this huge stone in place, that they put this stone in place, and then three days later, we believe this, and it seems a little bit crazy to say we hinge our whole life on this, but We believe that three days later, that same individual walked out and showed himself, first of all, to women who have no credibility in the first century, and then showed himself to 12 nobodies. We talked about those guys a little bit last week. Individuals who really have no clout in society. They have no future. They're just fishermen, doubters, and tax collectors. And then Simon the Zealot who wants to beat everybody up. So the question is, is it true? Because if it's true, listen, if it's a lie, if it's a lie, my whole life is also one. If it's a lie, Christianity doesn't matter because it all hinges on the resurrection. But if it's true, everything changes. We're going to read through a couple of scriptures. On, uh, on, it'll all be on the screen, but if you want to follow along on the Restore Bible app, I mean the Restore Church app, and then we have the Version Bible app, we're going to kind of jump around the Gospels. The Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all tell the story of Jesus, uh, and those four you can kind of flip through pretty quickly. If you need a Bible and would like to follow along through the Bible, we have some volunteers kind of spaced out. And if you just flip your hand up, look, we want you to have that Bible. Take it home, read it. Uh, Here's what I'd love for you to do. Take it home, read it, and see if what I say is true. Every preacher, if, if this isn't your own church and you go to church somewhere else, you're just here visiting, I challenge you to take your Bible home and read what the preacher says and, and see if it stands up and is true. We're going to start with Mark, Mark chapter 16, verse 6, and this is where we hinge our whole life on. It says, don't be alarmed. The women came to the tomb, and it was empty. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene. They're at the tomb, which shows that they thought he was dead and that he was buried at the tomb, um, 
that Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, this angel says, he has risen, he is not here. See the place where they laid him? And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. Josh McDowell in his book, More Than a Carpenter, he writes this. Listen, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, he kind of tries to summarize the whole Christian story. He says, Jesus of Nazareth, a Jewish prophet who claimed to be the Christ, prophesied from the Jewish scriptures. He was arrested, judged to be a political criminal, and then he was crucified. The Christian narrative says that three days after his death and burial, some women who went to his tomb found the body to be missing. Jesus' disciples claimed that God raised him from the dead and that he appeared to them many times before he ascended into heaven. From this foundation, Christianity spread throughout the Roman Empire and, was continued, uh, and has continued to exert great influence throughout the wor- world through the subsequent centuries. But the question is, did the resurrection really happen? We have to answer that question. All of history has to answer the question, why was the tomb empty? And so this morning, the elephant in the room that we're going to tackle is, can you trust the resurrection narrative? Again, if we're going to hinge our whole entire salvation, our eternity, our worldview, how we act, how we love, how we treat each other, how we treat our spouse, how we treat our kids, if we're going to depend on the resurrection to tell us all that, we'd better be pretty sure that it's true, right? Right. So the first thing that we have to establish, if there was a resurrection, then there had to be a there had to be a Jesus, first of all. And not only that, but Jesus, did he really die? Well, let's look. John chapter 19. Uh, so if you are following in your Bible, a lot of what we'll pull is from John 19. But John chapter 19, verses 1 through 3 says this, Then Pilate, who was not a Christ follower and had no interest in Jesus really, uh, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. I'll read about that in a second. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and they put it on his head. They clothed him in a purple robe, obviously sarcastic, and they went up to him again and again yelling, Hail, King of the Jews. And then they slapped him in the face. One uh, historian writes this about the Roman flogging process. Says this, the soldier would use a whip of braided leather thongs with metal balls woven into them. When the whip would strike the flesh, those balls would cause deep bruises or contusions, which would break open with further blows. The back would be so shredded that part of the spine was sometimes exposed by the deep, deep cuts. The whipping would have gone all, would have gone all the way from the shoulders down to the back, the buttocks, and, back, um, and then back up. He says it was just terrible. One physician who studied Roman beating says as the flogging continues, the lacerations would tear into the underlying skeletal muscles and produce quivering ribbons of bleeding flesh. Hold on, we're not done. If this is a little bit much for you, this is what our sins do. Or this is what our sins did. A third century historian by the name of Eusebius, he described flogging by saying this, the sufferer's veins were laid bare, and the very muscles, sinews, and bowels of the victim were open to exposure. That's what Jesus went through for me. 
We know that many people would die from this kind of beating even before they would be crucified. At the least, the victim would experience tremendous pain and go into hypovolemic shock. See, history doesn't deny that there was a Jesus. And history doesn't deny that there was a Jesus who was flogged and crucified. The question that we're asking is, did Jesus die? Because if there's a resurrection, there had to be a death. Well, most people who would go through that kind of beating and that kind of torture, most of the time didn't make it through, and most of the time didn't, not most of the time, every time, they didn't have an eternal purpose on the other side. They didn't have a group of people, they didn't have the world's weight of sins on their back, but Jesus did. Now, we can confidently say because of the nature of this type of torture and then following the the subsequent crucifixion that there is beyond a shadow of any doubt that Jesus died. John Dominic Crossan said about the crucifixion of Jesus that it is as sure as anything historical can ever be. John chapter 19, verse 28 through 30 Later, knowing that everything had been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it. They put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it up to Jesus' lips. And when he had received the drink, Jesus said, To tell us die. It is finished. And with that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. And that's what we observed Friday. Verses, uh, John 19, verses 33 to 34, when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a, with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water, which was a signal of death. Verses 39 to 40, John 19, he was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had vid- visited Jesus at night. Remember John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world, gave his only son. Whoever believes in him will not die, but have everlasting life. Jesus was talking to Nicodemus all the way back in John 3. Now we're in John 19. Nicodemus came to bring him down off the cross. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. Matthew records it in chapter 27, verse 60. Going to Pilate, he asked for Jesus' body, and Pilate ordered that it be given to him. Joseph of Arimathea took the body, wrapped it in clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of it, uh, in front of the entrance of the tomb, and went away. There is not much debate. There's almost actually no debate whether Jesus lived and died and was buried. But we, had to, uh, we, we have to acknowledge that for there to be a resurrection, there had to be a death. Now, according to the biblical account, the women went down after the death of Jesus. They are clueless. These two women are bringing these spices down to the tomb uh, to, to dress the body. But they knew the tomb was there. It, it's almost like, I don't know, it, it's, you've grieved before. Some of you are grieving now. And you know, you just do things that don't make sense. 
You still go through the process just because it makes you feel better. The two women go down to the tomb just to do that, and, and then they find the tomb to be empty. Hey, I think there's some significance here that Jesus uses some of the most non-credible people in the first century to tell about his testimony of an empty tomb first, and they were women. They go down, they see this empty tomb. Now, Christianity, and, and really the last 2,000 years, hinges on this being a fact and not a falsehood. Arthur Michael Ramsey, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, he writes this. He says, I believe in the resurrection partly because of a series of facts, uh, partly because of a series of facts are unaccountable without it. We're going to look at them in a second. Josh McDowell writes, the empty tomb was too notorious to be denied in the first century. German theologian Paul Althus says that the resurrection could not have been maintained in Jerusalem. Check this out. Could not have been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. Now, here's what we have. Jesus died, everyone watches. I mean, this is a spectacle that's happening. Partly because this guy has made it through the whipping process and is now carrying a cross. Now, the biblical narrative says that he doesn't carry it all the way. He can't make it halfway up. And so um, Simon, the Cyrene, he carries it the rest of the way. But it's a spectacle. I mean, people are watching. This is Roman sport and then as he is crucified and pinned to, a, pinned to a cross, they raise it high so that everyone can see it. They bring him down. We read about that. They bring him down. They put him in a tomb. And then the women go first, and they see this empty tomb. Now, here's what we have to deal with now. is not the life or the death of Jesus, but an empty tomb. And all of history has to explain why was this tomb empty. Similar to uh, what, what the German theologian Paul Althus says is, if there wasn't an empty tomb, this, this thing, this Christianity thing, wouldn't have lasted a minute, not a moment, because they would have went right to the tomb and said, look, the, tomb, the, the stone is there. Jesus would not have used women to tell the story, other than, man, if this story is true, let's use the least credible people in the first century. Women, you are completely credible, all right? I don't... All right, whatever else there is. We're together. But in the first century, you weren't. And so Jesus is really trying to... Or God's creating a story... That if it's going to go, it's going to go, and it's, there's going to be no other excuses behind it. I mean, there was, we can, with, with very little doubt, believe that there was an empty tomb. What do you do with that? What do you do with an empty tomb 2,000 years ago? Well, there's a lot of people who are trying to explain it. We're going to try it. Here's the first reason, or the first scenario for an empty tomb. And it's crazy. A resurrection. Now this is crazy because what we're talking about has never happened before, uh, and it will never happen again. 
what we're talking about is that Jesus, who we went through the process of how he died, that he rose back from the grave? It's kind of crazy. Here's the second option for the empty tomb. And that's the wrong, it's called the wrong tomb theory. That these women, it just in their grief and in their distress, they rush down and, again, you've, you've grieved before and you make, like, n- irrational decisions sometimes you make decisions that don't make sense or even though you knew how to get there you got lost anyway these women they go to the wrong tomb well if that were the case then then certainly they could have gone to the right tomb right maybe a day later maybe after this thing starts to pick up they just go back and say no here's the tomb then there's the hallucination theory the hallucination theory of an empty tomb. See, these are historians who are not Christians who are trying to explain an empty tomb and the behavior of the disciples for 2,000 years. Uh, they're trying to explain away this empty tomb. And so then they say, there's the hallucination theory. And this theory says that everyone who claimed the resurrection days after were actually hallucinating that Jesus was in front of them. That over the, the that over that the over 500 accounts, every person is hallucinating the same story. But common psychology, I'm not a psychologist, but common psychology would say that this doesn't match. This doesn't work. For someone to hallucinate is one thing, but for 500, more than 500 people to hallucinate the same thing just doesn't work. So how are we going to explain the empty tomb? The next one is the swoon theory. This is my favorite. Well, not my favorite. My favorite is the resurrection, but this is the most creative. Uh, This one was put out by a guy named Carl Venturini. The swoon theory says that Jesus didn't die on the cross, but he simply passed out. They brought him down from the grave, and and then they put him in the tomb, and then he woke up in the tomb. And, uh, and then uh, this is where it gets creative. How does he get out of the tomb? So swoon theory would suggest that Jesus regained his strength after that kind of beating and after that kind of crucifixion and then passing out, that Jesus somehow regained his strength, moved the stone himself, fought off the Roman guards who were guarding it, and then proceeded to show himself to everybody. There's the stolen body theory. And this one is that the disciples came to the tomb. Um, Now, remember this. When they came to arrest Jesus, you guys remember what the disciples did? They ran. They were scared. They took off. Now, the, the, um, the stolen body theory says that the disciples are like, we got Jesus back. We're going to make sure that this story, make sure he doesn't go out as some punk or some liar. So we're going to go steal the body, and then we're going to, I'm not sure what they do with it in, in this theory. Here's what this says, is that these 12 scared, frightened men, 11, because Judas kills himself. Well, no, yep, yeah, yeah, he did. They, they replace it replaced Jesus with a guy named Matthias. So the 12 people, they were terrified of these Roman guards, somehow regain their strength, march into Jerusalem, come up straight to the tomb where it's guarded by Roman guards, overtake them, move the stone, take Jesus' body, 
and then do what with it? Then there's the moved body theory. It's a re- uh, relocation of the body. This was common with, uh, with poor people in the first century. They would give them a tomb until the skin and muscles would decay, until it was just bones, and then they would move it. But that would take far more than three days. See, uh, listen, over the next coming months and years and decades, this Christianity thing, just starts to build and build and build. Just when they think they have it squashed, just when they think it's over, it continues to, to increase in momentum and increase in, in popularity, and it gains more and more followers. Now, this is a pain in the butt to the Jews that are there and to Rome. You know how you end all of this? In this whole Christianity thing right there in the first century, and we're not talking about today. Just show the body. Show us Jesus' body. If the swoon theory is right, that means Jesus was only going to die a couple days later, right? Let's just say he lives 10, 20, 50 years later. Jesus' body would still die at some point, and all that Rome had to do, all that the Jewish high priests and leaders had to do was take Jesus' body, and as as sick as it is, just parade it through the streets of Jerusalem, and all of the disciples would have been killed for blasphemy, and the Christianity story would be over. Can I show you the most logical suggestion for an empty tomb it's the resurrection there is no body to be found because in jesus there is no death to be found there's an empty tomb In 2,000 years, there has not even been close to one shred of evidence of a body. And so, as crazy as it might seem, the most logical conclusion for an empty tomb of a brutally beaded and crucified human being, Jesus, is a resurrection. You need more proof? How about the disciples, these terrified, timid disciples, these scared and cowardice disciples, all of a sudden in Acts chapter 2 get this courage that they've never seen before that comes through the Holy Spirit, and they stand up and preach in front of the face of the people that they ran away from, and the church begins. You want more evidence? How about Saul? History shows this, this human being who was killing the church all of a sudden shows this display of of passion for Jesus, the one he was crucifying. And he gave his whole life, he turns his whole life around and from, instead of persecuting the church, he's planting churches. You want more proof? How about the consistency of the church for 2,000 years? Hey, say what you want about the church. We're imperfect, we get it. That's what we love about this church. There's not anybody perfect in here. And if, if you are, don't stay for the second service. <laughs> there's, there's no perfection here, and we like it that way. The disciples uh, have, in, in Acts, they, they have taught, and they have done um, miracles, and then they get put on trial. And then this guy who actually is Saul's uh, mentor, he stands up and he says, listen to this. 
He says uh, in Acts chapter 5, verse 38, he says, Therefore, in the present case, I advise you, leave these men alone. Let them go. For their purpose or activity, if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. He's talking about the beginning of the church. But verse 39 says this, But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. As crazy as it sounds, the resurrection is true. And you can believe it. So what? You know what I'm saying? So what? All that sounds cool, Roger. You did a little research. All right, we get it. Um, But what does that mean for me? 2019, man, my life is shredded. I was doing so good. Like 2019 was my year and then... Or maybe 2019 is no different than 2018 or 2017 or 2016. Maybe your just, life just looks like hell right now, and you can't get it right on the right track. So what? I didn't come for Easter service for a history lesson. Um, I have two children. Uh, my son is six, and uh, he might be a genius. I'm not sure, but it would be really cool if he is because I'm not. His mom is. Uh, he's like this tall. <laughs> um, And I have a daughter, and she's beautiful. Uh, She's four. Her name is Sadie. Here's one thing. I love everything about having kids that age. They're best friends. They are best friends. We'll say, where are the kids? And it's like, we don't even really mean it because we know they're just playing with each other. It's great. But here's one thing that that drives me nuts. There's a lot of things driving me nuts. But one thing drives me nuts is uh, I'll have Bowen on the couch, right? And we, we'll get in this fight and we'll start wrestling around. And, and his weakness is right under his arm. You just put him in this submission that MMA won't even let you use, tickling. And I'll just start to tickle. And you've not heard joy until you heard my son belly laugh. It's the greatest thing ever. And we'll just be getting it, you know, wrestling. Dude will throw haymakers right in my chin, but that doesn't stop me because I love him. And I'll just keep, and then with beyond a shadow of a doubt, my daughter will come up, and she'll say, can you do what you did to Bowen? What? Well, do that to me. Do, do, that, do that to me. You want me to tickle you? Okay, so then I'll tickle her, and then Bowen will come up, and I'll say, can you do what you just did to Sadie? You mean what I did for you the first time? You guys know what I'm talking about? You'll, one of my favorite things to do, my daughter, uh, she's a little bigger now, and I'm not very strong, so I can't do it as much anymore, but I'll pick her up. Some of y'all have seen me do this. I'll pick her up in the small of her back, and I'll hold her straight up, and the girl will go lifeless. Like, she'll just lay back like this. She'll grab her feet. <laughs> one, of the, one thing that's fun is, we've done it with some of your kids, is they'll come up to do it, and they'll say, will you do that to me? Sure. Mom, Dad, you cool? Yeah. All right. So we'll, we'll start to go up, and I'll get them right here, and then we'll go to start to put them up with one hand, and they will clam up and start to like. They, they just don't want it. You know what I'm saying? They just, they just don't really want that, that freedom. The question you might be asking right now is, yeah, he did it for Jesus, but, but can he do it for me? Like, can God do that for me? I want to tell you he can. Romans chapter 8 says this, uh, verses 10 through 11. But if Christ is in you, some of y'all have to wrestle with that. 
you just came in this morning and you're like, I just came to the early service so I can beat the Baptist church to lunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> you're just trying to get a lunch for everybody else. Um, but the, the thing you've got to wrestle with is this. Is Christ in you? Are, are you a follower of Jesus? And if you're not and you want to pursue that, we want to do that with you. Not just a Christian who comes to church once a year on Easter. We're talking about a Christ follower. Because look at what Paul says right here, Romans chapter 8. But if Christ is in you, if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit, check this out, and if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. Jesus walked out of the tomb and Satan cowered, but eternity rejoiced. When Jesus walked out of that tomb, he left doubt and shame and misery behind so that we could have joy and freedom. He can give life back to your lifeless life. He can give freedom back to your imprisonment. He can heal your hard heart and your broken heart. He can restore your soul. You got a life this morning that's guided by regret and shame? Not in Christ. In Christ we have a life and a life that is free. That's what hope is. Is that one day he can resurrect our lives and our bodies from death, but our hope is that he can do it now and in your life. Don't you need that this morning? I know that I do. If God can raise Jesus from the dead, and he did because the tomb was empty and the most logical conclusion is the resurrection, if he can raise Jesus' body from the dead, he can certainly do it for you. Let's pray. Father God, the Easter story, man, is so much more than just Easter bunny and, and, and eggs. But God, it is an empty tomb like the smell of death was left behind. And you conquered it. You put power and love on display. You arrested death. God, you arrested shame and misery and, and anxiety and depression. You, 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 you arrested our past and our sins, you arrested our baggage and our divorces and our, um, you arrested it. But God, that day you produced life and today we're asking you to produce it again, produce it in our individual lives and in our families and in our workplace and God resurrect this city with your love. We pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen.